0: Hi, everybody. This is Brett Stewart, host of the Jukebox podcast, and I'm here to bring you a very special episode. A week ago today, we were live on AlphaGeekRadio.com, working with Wolf King Studios on a 24-hour marathon for ASAN, the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. During the marathon, different podcasters came on The Wolf King and uh, did abbreviated versions of their shows and had guests on and all sorts of great stuff, and we were live Saturday morning for a little over an hour to do just that with The Jukebox. Uh, you're going to hear some great music. You're going to have a, you're going to hear a great discussion between myself and some of the Wolf King podcasters that is music related. I think you're all really going to enjoy it. And if you are interested in helping support ASIN, it's a very admirable cause. You're going to learn a little bit about it on today's program as well. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode of the Jukebox, a special report from Wolf King Studios on alphageekradio.com to support ASAN. All
1: right, and joining me on the line now, we have Mr. Brett Stewart of the Jukebox podcast. Good morning, Brett. How are you? I'm wonderful. How are you? Um, I'm here still, so that's something.
0: <laughs> what is this, hour 18, 19?
1: This is hour 20. We've got uh, four more hours to go. So we'll be, it's 8 a.m. here on the East Coast, and we're going to be going right through noonish, ish uh, and so we've got just that last four-hour stretch. So the sun is up, we're, the finish line is ahead, and we're almost there.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, let's kick off a special episode of the Jukebox podcast. I'm going to run our intro, and then I'd love for you to tell us a little bit about uh, today's events. Excellent. Jukebox.
1: <laughs> You're listening to the Jukebox, your monthly dose of the very best in music around. Please welcome your host, Brett Stewart. Hello,
0: hello, hello. This is Brett Stewart, and you are listening to the Jukebox Podcast. Uh, Typically, we have a a once-a-month program on the 25th, but we've been putting in some special reports uh, here and there, and this is a very special endeavor that we are doing live today on Alpha Geek Radio. And I am joined today by Sean Burns of Wolf King Studios, and we are here this morning to support ASAN, which is the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. We're going to be broadcasting our episode live. It'll be on the Jukebox feed later. And we're going to play some music, just like we always do. We're going to follow that up with a discussion segment between Sean and I. So, Sean, uh, welcome to the Jukebox. Uh, Thank you so much for letting me be part of this wonderful, wonderful endeavor this morning.
1: Oh, thank you for coming in. We really appreciate the support. Of course. So
0: could you give me a brief rundown, uh, what we are supporting here today? where people can go to donate, where that money goes to help ASAN? Yep.
1: Um, people, what we're doing today is this is the tail end of our 24 hour podcast marathon. We're raising awareness and funds for ASAN, which as you said, is the autistic self-advocacy network. They are a group of mostly people on the autism spectrum, who have started an organization that is designed to help people on the autistic spectrum advocate for themselves in areas such as employment, schooling, housing. A lot of the normal things that you and I who might not be on the spectrum take for granted, ASAN helps those on the spectrum to get the the things that they need to, to lead their lives. And they do a wonderful job of it. And that's where the money that we're asking for donations goes to directly to them. Uh, if you go to bit.ly slash Wolf Autism, it'll take you directly to ASAN's donation page. It doesn't come to us. It goes directly to ASAN. Um, We ask that when you make a donation that you put in the field that says in honor of name, put Wolf King Marathon or Wolf King Podcast, something like that. And in the in honor of email, put in Wolf King Podcasts with an S at gmail.com that'll help them to figure out which donations came from the marathon and help us to, to see how we did this year and you know give us good numbers to shoot for next year as well um, so that's what we're doing providing entertainment for folks and the one thing I want to stress is that the website's going to be open for two months so even if you're getting these on the downloads later up until about June 15th, you can feel free to go to that bit.ly slash Wolf King Autism and still be able to donate.
0: Wonderful. That'll be great because the majority of the Jukebox audience does download on Podcatchers because we are a pre recorded program. This is actually one of the first times we've done an official live broadcast. So hopefully, all this goes off without a hitch. But, uh, that's, that's wonderful, and people, if you are listening later on, as long as it's before about June 15th, head on over. What's the URL one more time?
1: Yep, bit.ly slash autism.
0: Alright, head on over there and uh, support ASAN. It's a very noble endeavor. We are going to kick it off with some music today, and then since I have someone else with me, we're going to do a discussion segment. Uh, What I did for this episode was I cherry-picked some of my favorite musicians that we've showcased over the past year and a half. On the Jukebox, and I wanted to bring back a couple of their songs that I thought would be great for the day. Uh, stuff that the Jukebox audience hasn't heard in a while, and then hopefully, new listeners, uh, this stuff will be entirely foreign to you. And then we have some other stuff as well. For those unfamiliar with the Jukebox, uh, it is our endeavor to uh, bring a spotlight onto the best of independent music from all around the world in every single genre. And I always start off episodes with a jukebox promise, and that is that we will never play anything less than exceptional music. And what we challenge all of our listeners to do is to open up your mind to types of music that you would typically maybe not listen to. Maybe you don't like hip-hop or reggae or uh, blues or folk or jazz or spoken word because we play it all. Uh, open up your mind to it because I promise what we're bringing to the table is something worth hearing because there's so much independent music online, and unfortunately, it creates kind of a white noise where it's hard to discern uh, what's what's worth listening to and what's worth supporting and how to find it. So that's what we're here to do. So the first episode, uh, sorry, the first person that we're going to take a look at today, his name is Jacob Mondry. That's M-O-N-D-R-Y. His album Unison came out last year. We showcased him, I think, in maybe August. Uh, He's a soul-pop singer-songwriter in New York City. His debut solo record Unison is currently playing on radio stations nationwide on the indie sections. Uh, He also writes and performs in the persona of a sci-fi disco drag musical about an alien transvestite named S-E-X. Her magical power is called The Fabulous, and Mondry is pretty fabulous. Here's his son, his song, Two Sons.
2: I felt you leaving late last night. By the way you tied your hair, I was old.
0: jacob mondry the song is two sons and it is off of his 2015 album unison we're gonna follow that right back up with a second song off that record called tomorrow never comes Jacob Mondry, again, the album is unison. I just, I love his style because it's some, it's infectious pop music, but there's a lot going on behind that pop music. You have a jazz influence with the big band brass, and you have all these different things that he's just uh, infusing into that sound, and it's a really fun record, uh, and his whole persona, the SEX persona, uh, the theatrical aspects of it are really uh, quite fantastic. We're going to move on for uh, some songs that are quite soothing for our Sunday morning broadcast. Our next band is called Suit Journey. It's a collaboration between Billy Woods and Deborah Schmidt. Uh, There's an immense amount of creative energy and talent between these two. And I think that chemistry is only strengthened by this creative partnership that it clearly extends into a deeply personal friendship. And their latest studio uh, album is called Tibet, Land of My Tears. It's a pretty eclectic collection of songs inspired by their travels through Nepal and Tibet. Throughout their journey, both Woods and Schmidt discovered a deep love and understanding of the Tibetan culture, something that fostered uh, a desire to make a difference in the only way they knew how, through music their new album uh, 50% of the sales of it will go uh, to do- will be donated to organizations that help preserve and support tibetans within their country uh, the album's a labor of love and it's one that really defies genre in this m- massive sonic palette that it really uses to convey its passion so this is a song from tibet land of my tears by suit journey the song is unknown blessings Born a million years ago, and it spells out quite a story in strands of DNA. Same spark that birthed our universe is born in us today, and there. World, it's a funhouse mirror. Sometimes you feel just like a clown. Yeah, everything is distorted. Everything feels upside down. And the truth, it just gets twisted, like a rope is torn and frayed. You feel like you can't. might slip away, and they're already on their way. someday and we're already on our way That was Suit Journey, Unknown Blessings, off of their album, Tibet, Land of My Tears. A lot of the album uh, is the dichotomy between the two performers, where they bounce off one another. And they do a lot of instrumental stuff as well. And it ranges in style and variety. I'm going to play a little quick tidbit of uh, one of the instrumental tracks, so the audience can hear what it sounds like. Uh, This song is called Everest. Thank you. That was Everest, Uh, Tibet Land of My Tears from Suit Journey. Definitely worth checking out, a very, very talented duo. We're going to switch gears again, and we're going to hit up some rock and roll. This band is called Pinto and the Bean. They're a Chicago-based rock and roll act, uh, and they have an exceptional album called Transit Eons. Uh, It's really quite good. Check it out. It's on Bandcamp. That is Pinto and the Bean. We are going to play a song called Gunshot. Pinto and the Bean and their song, Gunshot. I think the interesting thing about them as a band is when you listen to Transit Eons as a whole experience, uh, they don't really have one genre that they put themselves into a box within. There are songs that have a South African influence that are incredibly different from what you just heard. Because what you just heard sounds maybe a bit like... Uh, a New Order influence, perhaps with a more modern uh, Arcade Fire type sound. And then you'll go to the next song and they're doing folk. And uh, typically that would result in a pretty disconjointed album. But with Pinto and the Bean, it's just so uh, chock full of their personality that it works. And that album makes sense and has a concrete uh, linear line through it that makes sense as a whole piece even uh, as one whole piece, which is pretty incredible considering that they have all these songs in incredibly different styles. So check them out. The album's called Transit, Eons, Pinto, and The Bean. We're going to play one more artist, and then we're going to jump into a discussion because I want to hit that before we clock out of here at uh, 8 o'clock Central Time. We're going to play our next artist, Her name is simply Mary. Her new album is called Freedom Bound, and we're going to be playing a song off Freedom Bound called Trouble. Now, here on the jukebox, one of the most rewarding uh, parts of my work is not only showcasing and delving into um, uh, music and a variety of independent acts, but also looking deep into the people that comprise that music. Because there are times when the artist is entirely separated from the person. If you're if you're a Kanye West fan, you've probably had to make that argument many, many times. And then there are also times uh, when the two are interwoven so passionately that they're one and the same. And that is the case with Simply Mary uh, because it's a pursuit of a woman who has struggled to free herself of domestic violence. The album, Again, called Freedom Bound, is a collection of songs dedicated to the survivors of domestic violence. She had to flee her offender several times as they continued to violate a protection order, and the songs on the record are the ups and downs of having to adjust to her new life. It's one heck of a powerful journey uh, and has a mission that's quite larger than itself. So enjoy Simply Merry Trouble.
2: Shake it, baby.
0: Now, I must confess, when I sat down to listen to Simply Mary's Freedom Bound, I was daunted by it because it's a long record. It's 14 songs. And typically, when an independent record is that long, it runs into one uh, simple recurring problem that I've seen countless times. Uh, The artist didn't know what to put on the record, so they just put it all on the record. Uh, So I was very worried going into her album. Because I wanted it to be everything that it should be, uh, passionately and emotionally. Um, and I was worried that she would be inundated by that problem. But she's not. Uh, all 14 songs of Freedom Bound have their place in that set. And that's a pretty upbeat, you know, blues-inspired tune. Uh, but she, you know, brings you down into um, the depths of, of the sorrow and, and the issues that she dealt with during her struggle. Uh, So it's a wonderful record, and it almost listens like a concept record. So if if you enjoyed that, I would highly recommend uh, Spinning Freedom Bound uh, from start to finish rather than in fragmented songs. Uh, So that was Simply Mary, and now we're going to jump into a jukebox discussion because I have someone else with me on the show today, which I typically don't have. This is typically a one-mic program where I jabber off into a mic and then it comes out in post-production later. Uh, so, Sean, uh, to bring you into our jukebox audience, give us a, a very brief rundown of the type of music that you love. Oh, that's,
1: that's an interesting question. I've got a, a pretty eclectic... Taste in music when I was in um college, I had all my CDs in Iraq and they were all in alphabetical order, which meant my Barry mandelow's greatest hits sat right next to my Metallica Black album <laughs> CDs. Um so I pretty much run the gamut, but I would definitely say that like for me my my favorite genres of music are probably gonna be the 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 pop and classic rock that came out of the 70s and 80s. Those are probably my two big, big areas.
0: Great. Then the discussion we're going to have today will seep into those. Because the first topic I wanted to talk about is the idea of musical biopics in film. So mm. two weeks ago, I went to go see I Saw the Light, uh, which is the new Mark Abraham uh, biopic on Hank Williams. And I had the, I had the good fortune of seeing the, the showing a couple days before the movie came out. And Abraham, who is the director, and Tom Hiddleston, uh, who plays Hank Williams, were both at the showing to do a Q&A. And uh, to put that in, uh, in context for anyone who doesn't know those names, Hiddleston, uh, he, uh, he plays Loki in The Avengers, uh, if you're familiar with Marvel. And then uh, recent films Abraham has done include uh, 2014's Robocop, uh, one of the more recent Exorcist films in time with Justin Timberlake. It's not, he's not Spielberg. Uh, It's not the most, you know, it's not uh, movies that I would cite as exceptional. But the the movie's done terribly. Uh, I think Rotten Tomatoes had it sitting at 8% last time I saw it. And uh, I think the reason it did terribly, and the reason uh, I think a lot of biopics sometimes struggle, is because it didn't connect with the persona of Hank Williams on a deep level. Instead, uh, it was very, very superficial. Now, uh, what is your feeling on on music biopics? Are there any in specific that you like or dislike?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, as far as like goes, I immediately go to the Buddy Holly story, um, and that movie was just so well done for me. And... I just I don't know what it is about it. It just there's an enjoyment to it. It tells the story so well. It it captures the joy and it captures the you know the 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 sadness about um, you know the 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 crash and everything. And it just really for me just resonated. And I think part of why it resonated was it never really broke character because unbelievably. Um, you know, Buddy Holly was played by Gary Busey, who did the singing for that movie um, and did an excellent job of singing as Buddy Holly, uh, you know, and really just came off. It, it never broke stride. You know, a lot of these songs, when they when they use the original artist, it it almost breaks stride for me because it's kind of going back and forth between what we're, the story we're telling, the music and you know, so but having him perform as Buddy Holly and do all the singing and he actually pulled it off wonderfully. You know, it, it seemed very cohesive and and so I mean, I would say that the Buddy Holly story is probably my favorite of the biopics. Um, I don't, I really don't know if I have a like a, a least favorite. Right. See, I I put a, together a brief list
0: when I was thinking about this segment. Mm. Uh, I thought Walk the Line. I think a lot of people really enjoy that film. I think it's a great film. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ray, which was you know on Ray Charles with Jamie Foxx, and he, he won an Oscar for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there have been ones that have had more divisive um, responses. Uh, Get On Up from about a year and a half ago was uh, the James Brown film. Uh, very divisive response on that. He did not sing his own stuff, which you were, were just talking about. He uh, lip-synced Brown. Mm-hmm. And then uh, and then you have like the all- Oliver Stone and The Doors where he really took uh, some creative license to go places with that. So yeah. I guess my question for you would be, do you think it's good for films like this to take creative license? Or do you think that they should walk a line of trying to remain honest and true to the
1: artist? Um, You know, I, I think creative license is okay in a very narrow manner, um, you take, for instance, something that because you're doing something that's historical, uh, you you take a movie like, um, let's say, Braveheart or The Patriot, you know, where you've got historical basis for this, but you don't have, you know, records of every conversation, but you know what happened, and so you can use creative license to make those conversations drive the parts of the story we already know. So I'm okay with that. But when they really start taking a broad creative license on it, that's when it kind of loses me because I I think you really are, you know, you're telling retelling a historic event uh, with real people, real events. And so you kind of owe it to the audience to tell them correctly.
0: And it's interesting that you bring up, the idea of you—you uh, you have to work within the box, right? Because it is, uh, you like you say, it is a historical event, and you are retelling it, and you have to work within that. Now, when I when we when I saw Hiddleston, he he actually addressed this in a way that I thought made a lot of sense. He said that because uh, someone asked him a similar question to that, and he said that I can be creative once I'm at the the, the bare. Uh, the base of what Hank Williams is. So what he did to describe that was he said, uh, after I'm in costume, after I've kind of put on his voice, after I have, uh, you know, put on that American Southern accent, uh, and after I am transpo- you know, transplanted into 19 19- – in the 1950s, then – As an artist and as a creative actor myself, then I can decide uh, how would Hank Williams swat a fly, right? Because that is his creative license in that because that's not something a history book or a textbook is going to tell you, uh, those those mannerisms. And I should note that while I say the film was not very good and I would not recommend it, uh, none of that was the fault of Hiddleston. I really strongly believe that he acted Hank Williams superbly, and he he sang it all, and he was really good. In fact, if there's anything to take out of I Saw the Light, uh, if you're a Hank Williams fan out there, check out the soundtrack because he did killer versions of Hank Williams songs. And the real fault of the movie was Hank Williams was such a complex man, and mm-hmm. he decided. Uh, and I say I see Mark Abraham decided that when making this film he was going to centralize it around all of these tormented demons of Hank Williams uh, his alcoholism and domestic abuse and all of these things that were uh, that created all these inner demons in Williams's life and when he did that he didn't add any other uh, basis to the character he didn't actually add anything else to him aside from him wandering around you know, beating up women and getting drunk. And then the whole movie goes round and round for two hours like that. And there was more to his character than that. There was more to his, per- you know, his personality and him as a human. And to bring him down to that two-dimensional, uh, you know, alcoholic misogynist was, uh, was. It, I think it showed, which is why audiences really are not enjoying that film. Yeah. So when we talk about artistic license, what have you ever seen I'm Not There? No, I haven't. Okay, so this was a film where uh, it was a Bob Dylan biopic, biopic very loosely. Uh, if you're a Dylan fan, it's very much worth seeing. If anyone out there is a Dylan fan, because what they did with it is they decided that doing a biopic on Dylan would uh, inevitably just be difficult to do, right? Because Dylan was like 20 different people. So <laughs> what they decided instead was we're actually going to have five different people play Dylan. Uh Kate Blanchett plays Dylan. Uh Heath Ledger plays Dylan. It was actually the last movie he filmed before he died. Uh not the last it was released because that was the Dark Knight. And uh Christian Bale plays Dylan. Richard Gere plays Dylan. And all of them play a different version of Bob Dylan with this crazy uh extension of his character that is really wild and really circus-like and almost like across the universe if you've ever seen across the universe
1: you know i was (laughs) that's actually one of my favorite movies and i was going to bring that up because it does something similar with the you know the movie itself is an allegory for the beatles career
0: exactly
1: it's not a biopic in the strictest sense but when you just take a look at the overall arc of the movie it mimics the overall arc of the Beatles career from the starting out with the at the dance with the white gloves, going to the cave, going to, you know, the protests of Vietnam, going to the psychedelic stuff and then ending up on the rooftop, uh, you know, just mirror all the, the scenes and everything just mirror parts of the Beatles career. So, yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from with that.
0: Right. And that is exactly what I'm not there does, because what they said was, uh, let's take these different ideas of what Dylan stood for. So let's create one character that is a, you know, a a, a drunken cynic and one character that is a cowboy and one that is um, a traveling troubadour uh, hopping on boxcars in the 1940s and all these different things that Dylan really uh, is and manifests throughout his catalog. And instead of creating this linear line from, you know, cradle the grave like some films do, they decided to be really outlandish with it now that landed uh, with them with a mixed response some people love that film some people hate it if you don't know a lot about Bob Dylan a lot of it's gonna go over your head but the music in it they did exactly like across the universe uh, well, I shouldn't say exactly like because across the universe had the people in the movie sing it right
1: right yes right
0: okay so this film they had they brought in a bunch of artists to come play the songs because no one is actually technically singing on screen it's almost like it's more of a soundtrack to the film so Mm -hmm. they had willie nelson come in in my morning jacket and do their renditions of dylan which is really quite cool so i guess what what this would move me to my next uh question would be what is an artist that you would like to see in a biopic that has not been attempted or maybe has been poorly attempted
1: hmm that's a good question. It, the the biopics tend to be those people that were, you know, so in the forefront and public. One I think I would like to see is I've always been intrigued by um the life story of Jim Croce and how we had someone who was so talented and was taken so soon. Um it I think learning more about who he was As a person, because he was a very quiet person from everything I've read, Um, not a whole lot publicly known. So if there was more information, I would love to see uh, more about Jim Croce done. I think he would make for a really interesting biopic.
0: You know, that is a great response. I never would have expected anyone to say Jim Crow. And that's great. That actually puts me on a whole train of thought because there's so many of those early 70s singer-songwriters that you don't hear a whole lot about but would be interesting to get into. One of my favorites is Harry Chapin. Yep. Uh, And he was taken tragically as well. Uh, Can I chime in for a sec? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Who's who's on the line right here? This is is Hammond. (laughs) Oh, hi. Okay.
2: Can I can – I'd like to throw out Michael Hedges, uh, the okay. acoustic guitar guy that used to play for Wyndham. He was killed in a car accident in the early 90s. I'd love to see something with him.
0: Very cool. Very cool. Those are two responses I never would have <laughs> expected to hear. And maybe that's a great way to do it is to go into these people that, you, that the public doesn't know a lot about. That way you can flesh them out rather than saying uh, we're going to tackle – Uh, Hank Williams, and then run the, you know, they botched Hank Williams so poorly with this film, and it would be really interesting to see something like Jim Croce that would be a uh, a whole different take on someone that you don't hear a whole lot about nowadays and who's taken so soon. Mm -hmm. So that's great. Well, thanks so much for jumping in. Do you want to introduce yourself, Hammond, let the listeners know who you are?
2: Yeah, I'm Hammond. Uh, I do be on the playlist with Jay Hammond C and uh looks like I'll be doing soundography with Brian Ibitt now. And I do Grumpy Cast with Daryl and Joey, but uh, my show kind of focuses on creative process and I kind of lean more toward the music side of things. And you know, I I've been sitting and listening for the last, you know, 20 minutes and it's a great conversation. And when you mentioned who would you like to see, I started kicking around a bunch of ideas and I'm a fan of a lot of stuff, but People like Michael Hedges, who was taken who were taken tragically really early because of a car accident, or someone like Kevin Gilbert, who not many people know about, but he's one of the greatest storytelling singers and songwriters we've ever had. And, you know, he did Toy Matinee and he did his solo work. And, you know, that kind of stuff. We'd love to hear those stories. We'd love to know more about them.
0: That would be absolutely wonderful. Now, I wanted to, I'm glad you jumped in because we played some music at the top of the show and then we're going to have a discussion here for the next uh, 10 minutes or so. I wanted to move on to talk a little bit about streaming because this has been something that uh, the people I work with on the Jukebox, we've had many debates about because uh, streaming seems to be something that is continually popping up uh, for better or for ill, whether you have someone like Taylor Swift, Tom York, Kanye West pulling their music off Spotify, pulling it off Apple Music, saying it's not compensating artists fairly. So, to kick it off, do you guys, as avid music fans, utilize some sort of streaming service?
1: You know, I, Sean? I have dabbled off and on with um, Rhapsody, Spotify, um, Google Play Music. But none of them really ever seem to, to satisfy what I'm looking for, and I, I tend to gravitate more towards finding what I'm looking for either in my own personal library or going places like YouTube and, and you know, listening there. So, um, and, then that, and YouTube can be a whole other issue because you've got a lot of unlicensed stuff hanging out out there. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, I've used Spotify in the past, and I've used um, the... Rhapsody and 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 Pandora too. You know, I like Pandora because I I can discover new artists that are similar to artists I already know I like. So,
0: right. What about you, Hammond?
2: So it's taken me the better part of probably six years to train my my Pandora to uh, lead me into a decent direction. Because before it was like some kind of eager child just bringing me dead animals and. <laughs> It, and so I, we have a subscription to Pandora. We listen to it through our Sonos. I listen to it at work when I'm doing uh, paperwork and stuff. It's great for discovery. I've discovered a lot of stuff uh, since having Pandora that I wouldn't have found otherwise. Um, so I'm a big fan of that. I'm really kind of also upset at the fact that Apple Music has now tried to push its way into my iTunes to make it seem like it's all one seamless listening experience. Mm-hmm because it's not because I'm not going to sign up for it, the the Apple Music because I've already got Pandora.
0: Right. And now you bring up a good aspect of Pandora, which is uh, Pandora points you in the direction, and like you say, you train it over time in order to do that, whereas Spotify is a la carte. You go in and you find what you want to listen to, and Spotify put some stats out last year where they showed that uh, – As people got older and as they started to listen to Spotify more and more over the years of using Spotify, their actual artist uh, consumption went way down. So they were just listening to stuff that they had gotten to the groove of listening. So perhaps with Pandora, you can break out of that because it forces you to go in new directions and listen to artists that you might not always listen to. And that leads me into the second part of this discussion, which is, is it fair for the artist? Because that is the claim that someone like Taylor Swift, someone like Kanye, is making is that this is not fair for the artist. I'm pulling my music because I'm making .001 of a cent per stream rather than selling it for a buck 69 on iTunes.
1: Yeah, you know and Pandora, I think is, is a different situation because with the discovery thing, you get, at least I would hope, that a majority of the artists are realizing that they're being put in front of people that they normally wouldn't be. Um, And your, your Taylor Swift's your Kanye West are not obviously in that ballpark, but uh, just as an example, one day I sat down and was listening to um, uh, Lumineers radio on uh, Pandora. And it introduced me to Eric Hutchinson, who I had never heard of, but went out and bought his debut album based off of what I was hearing. And it is now one of my favorite albums. Um, You know, so I think that maybe your, your biggest artists out there might have some, you know, might have some validity in that claim, but I would hope that the majority of artists realize that they're being put in front of people who normally would not have heard their music and are now getting, Revenue popularity. I mean if Eric Hutchinson ever came around here, I would be the first in line to buy a ticket for that concert um, You know, so they would definitely be getting revenue from me, but that they normally wouldn't otherwise so make kind of make sense
0: right because Just because you're not necessarily, you know, making bank on Spotify does not mean that that's going to push your social media presence, get people out to shows, get people buying physical merchandise uh, when it becomes available, buying your uh, Mm T-shirts, spreading the word about you. And that's something that's invaluable to independent artists, to smaller artists. Uh, And you're right. That's not necessarily something that Kanye can speak to. Uh, Perhaps he should put it on there because he's, what, 53? million dollars in debt so maybe that would do him some good uh <laughs> okay? every revenue revenue stream helps uh so i guess the i wanted to lead into two more quick things before we pop out of here in a couple minutes can uh, i can i throw something
2: out real quick yes absolutely i i think that this is kind of like what the writer's strike was a few years ago where they had to adjust the way the market looked based on evolving technology Uh, when the original contracts for some of these older shows were written, they didn't have streaming rights. They didn't have some of this stuff built in, so the writers were getting screwed. So I think now that the streaming music and this digital uh, distribution stuff is turning out the way it is, contracts are going to read differently for those kind of things. I mean, before it was radio play. You don't get paid per play on a radio station that plays your song once an hour. It's a lump sum. So these contracts are going to have to adjust – to meet the needs of the evolving technology. And no one knew what that was going to look like until just recently.
0: Right. That's a very good point. Now, when we're talking about technology and we're talking about Spotify and Pandora and all these things, there's the opposite side of that coin. And that is where I went and waited for two hours in line yesterday uh, at record store day to go get physical records From Bob Dylan, from David Bowie, uh, from Florence and the Machine, all these great records that I picked up yesterday. And I waited two hours in line, and it was wonderful because uh, every record shop here in Chicago was absolutely packed. Lines around the block, people were excited to go get physical vinyl, come out and show their support for their local record shops. Uh, Do you guys think this is a trend that will continue, or do you think this is a hipster fad? Because personally, I go out and get these records for two reasons. One, I love having a physical collection. I love having uh, liner notes and album art and all these things. And two, I just love putting a vinyl record on my player, on my high def system and reaping the benefits of that quality. That's very important to me. And I love to be able to support the artists that way. Do you guys think that that is something that's here to stay? Is Record Store Day going to continue to be this popular?
1: You know, I would hope so. I I do kind of think it's... It's sort of a niche because, like, I don't personally know anybody who goes out and does that. I know people on the internet and and you know obviously you and things like that who who will go out and do those things. But like, I look at my son and you know he's seventeen years old in his generation, and I don't think any of him or his friends own a record player to be able to go out and do something like this. So, I think it's a little bit more of a niche market. But you know it, it it does speak to to the fact that. Albums used to be something so different than what we have now with with the digital downloads and things. And album art is such a lost art form. You know, when I was in high school, I went to a local um, indoor flea market in Philadelphia where I grew up and bought album after album after album of Yes, and David Bowie and the Eagles and and it wasn't necessarily to listen to them because we were already on to CDs, but my wallpaper of my bedroom was album art. You know, because I just thought that you know these these albums had such great artwork that sometimes told a story, sometimes embodied what it was that you were hearing on the albums. And so, you know, just for that fact alone, I kind of do hope it continues. Um, but I'm just I'm not sure of the widespread popularity of it. So I guess you know, time will tell. What about you, Hammond?
2: So last year I stood in line for record at Record Store Day at one particular place so that I could get the uh Metallica no life to leather cassette tape that they released for Record Store Day. Um I have three or four bands that I will pay premium for their physical special collector's box sets. So they come out with these a like Dream Theater releases these big box sets with vinyl and with CD and with usually a documentary and a couple trinkets and some prints and a mouse pad or all these different things. Like a, a thumb drive filled with all their STEM files so you could remix your own versions of their songs. Those are the kind of things that I'll do for the bands that I love, and I've got three or four of them as far as the Taylor Swift and the Kanye West. If I like a Taylor Swift song, I'm just going to pull it off iTunes. I'm not buying Kanye West because I think he's an idiot and I don't want to support an idiot. But that's just me. Um, I, I think that there's going to be people who want the who are willing to pay. Pre- Oops. did we lose them? And then, sorry, no, I just bumped my I bumped the <laughs> pause button by accident. Um, and I think there are going to be people who. Uh, will just buy the singles because of the songs they hear either on Pandora or on the radio or while they're getting their teeth cleaned. They're like, hey, what's that song? And the dentist says, oh, that's so-and-so. So So I think that there's going to be a market for both. It's just, it's not generational as much as what you like and what you're willing to spend on what you like. Mm -hmm. So perhaps
0: it's more of a boutique experience of going out and Uh, Going the extra mile to wait in line to get antiquated technology because that is the band you support and it gives you cool different things that you can't necessarily get by just hopping on iTunes and spending a buck. Uh, For me, yesterday that was waiting two hours to get a you know a red vinyl of Dylan singing uh, Sinatra songs in a horrible voice. But I love Bob Dylan, so I'll go out and I'll wait two hours for that. Whereas. Uh, anyone else who is, has a passing interest in that is just going to go download it like you just said. Yeah. So uh, we're going to start to wrap things up here. I want to thank both of you for coming in. Thanks for uh, hopping in on the latter part of this discussion, Hammond. I appreciate it. Hey, no worries. So, Sean, again, why don't you throw out one more time uh, how to donate to ASAN.
1: Yep. Um, when you hear this, either if you're listening live now or when you listen to the downloads, go over to bit.ly slash Autism. We're doing this 24-hour marathon, which we're closing in on the final stretch of, in order to support ASAN, or the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network. These are folks who help to educate people on the autism spectrum about how to advocate for themselves for things like schooling in the workplace, for housing, things that you and I who might not be on the spectrum take for granted. And it, they teach them how to do these things for themselves. And that's one of the reasons why I really want to help support this group is it, they seem to embody the the philosophy of you know if you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. If you teach a man to fish, you feed him for a lifetime. And it's the same thing so many organizations out there will help someone who needs the help. And that's, that's fantastic. But ASAN teaches folks on the autism spectrum how to help themselves. So go on over to bit.ly slash wolfking autism in the uh, field. That's marked in honor of name, put Wolf King marathon and in the field marked in honor of email, you're going to use Wolf King podcasts at gmail.com. Uh, there are lots of, levels that you can donate at but the one thing i want to point out to people is at the very bottom there's a spot there for you to put in any amounts you want so if the levels that they have there don't fit your budget put in whatever you want because every dollar we can raise for these folks is going to help in the long run
0: wonderful and jukebox listeners if you're listening to this on our feed on a Podcatcher, remember that is open for the next two months so hop in there go support asan uh and thank you both that'll do it Uh, For Sean, for me, for Hammond, and I will be back on the Jukebox next week with a special report, and we will follow that by the monthly episode on the 25th. Uh, Thank you both so much.
1: All right. Thanks, Brett. Thanks for being here. We really appreciate it. Of course. Jukebox can be found
0: at jukeboxpodcast.com.
1: Have something to tell us? Did we turn you onto your new favorite band? right into jukeboxpodcast at gmail.com and we'll read your message on the next show the jukebox is available on all major podcast platforms including itunes you can subscribe and listen to the show at jukeboxpodcast.com while you're there download a free album this month from one of the bands that was featured in this episode Thank right. you.